Let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, dealing with disagreements. Do you ever disagree with anybody about anything? No, no, not at all. You haven't disagreed with anybody in the last day or week or 18 months. Boy, we'd all be lying if we claimed that was true, wouldn't we? I'm thankful that God's Word speaks to everyday, real-life situations. If you live for any time at all, you will come to a place where you will have a disagreement with somebody else. Even another believer in Jesus Christ. Sometimes I think we sort of get this idea that everybody should just think the way that we think. And then we wouldn't have any problems. Mm, I'm glad you don't all think the way I think. It, we'd have a lot of problems, right? And if you were honest, you should be glad that everybody doesn't think the way that you think because we'd still have a lot of problems because... We're all sinners and we all struggle and we all have issues. But what do we do when disagreements come up in the church? What do we do when disagreements come up between believers? Now, the Bible speaks to this in several different specific passages, and we're really going to focus our study today to Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. So this is not the treatise on all things disagreements in Scripture, but as we look at this particular passage of Scripture, this is really helpful for us to know how to deal with disagreements, especially when they come up in the church. But I think some of the principles that we see being applied in this passage are very helpful for us, even in day-to-day -day life, uh, whether it's you know, somebody in your neighborhood or somebody that you work with or a family member in those kinds of disagreements. And I will tell you that those types of specific disagreements are dealt with more specifically in other passages of Scripture. But I think it's helpful for us to understand as God continues to bless, as our church continues to reach out and minister to people, we can't expect that we will just be able to go on indefinitely and there will never be a disagreement that arises. There will never be a question about something that needs to be dealt with. And that definitely was not the case for the church in Jerusalem. There were plenty of disagreements that arose and they had to be dealt with. I am looking forward to being in heaven someday when God will make all things right and He'll make all things straight and we'll understand perfectly. But in this life, you have to understand, we all have shortcomings. We all have a limited amount of brain power. We all have limited understanding when it comes to different issues and areas. And so there will inevitably be disagreements that arise. The issue today that we're going to focus on is not about avoiding disagreements or keeping them from ever coming up, but rather dealing with those disagreements properly when they do come up. Because if we go through a life trying to just avoid every kind of disagreement, the reality is we won't stand for or do much of anything, right? Instead, we'll just sort of become the chameleon that just tries to change its skin to match whatever the surroundings look like. And that's not what God has put us here to do. Rather, He called us out to be a, a peculiar people, the Scripture says, zealous unto good works. So when you walk with God, if you're trying to be like God, you will inevitably rub up against other people in that process, and disagreements will arise. So this is not a message on how to avoid disagreements and how never to disagree with anybody, but rather how to deal with those disagreements when they arise. Let's begin reading in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. And understand this message will be continued next week, but uh, this is we're going to look at the first section of this issue today, and we'll continue this next week as well. But let's begin Acts 15, 1 through 12. And certain men 
which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now remember, this is coming right on the heels of Paul and Barnabas after they've come back from their first missionary journey. They gave the big report of all of God's blessings to the church at Antioch, told about all the people that had been saved, the churches that had been started, the wonderful things that God had done. Paul and Barnabas are still there ministering in Antioch. And then some people from Judea, from the area around Jerusalem, they traveled up to Antioch to teach that you had to be circumcised after the manner of Moses in order to be saved. Verse 2 says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Verse 4, And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, I did want you to notice in the verse we just read, while they were called Pharisees, they were also called believers. So these people who were teaching that you had to be circumcised and follow after the law of Moses, these were not unsaved people. These were people who were believers in Jesus Christ. So this is a disagreement between believers in a church. And it says in verse 6, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear, but... We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. And verse 12 says, Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. As we study this passage together this morning, I think it's important to note that disagreements are common in the church. Disagreements are common in the church. Here, just after all of this great work has taken place on the first missionary journey, then come people from Judea and they're disagreeing. They're teaching something different than Paul and Barnabas had been teaching as far as the manner of salvation. Don't be surprised when there are disagreements. Yes, even disagreements over truth in the church. While we have the Word of God to guide us and to lead us, it is not unusual for disagreements to arise. Sometimes we think, well, I'm going to find the church where there are no disagreements. Well, I would tell you, if this church in Acts had as many disagreements as they did, then we should understand we are not exempt from having disagreements in our church either. I can give you some other examples of disagreements. You can go back to 
Acts chapter 6, where the widows, certain widows were being neglected. And so the other ones came up and said, our widows are not being taken care of properly. And there was dissension. There was frustration in the church. And so they had to select out these men of honest report, these godly men who could help to minister in that situation. In Acts chapter 9, the church at Jerusalem disagreed about whether or not to let Paul the Apostle, of course he wasn't Paul the Apostle yet, he was Saul of Tarsus, the man who had participated in murdering Stephen. They were debating as to whether or not to bring him into the church at Jerusalem. Now remember, Paul had professed faith in Christ. And what happened? Barnabas went and he met with him and he encouraged him and he heard his testimony of salvation, and he helped to bring Saul into the church at Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 11, we read about the disagreement over the fact that Peter had been eating with Gentiles and whether or not this was okay. You remember the story where Peter goes and he meets with Cornelius and he preaches the gospel and Cornelius and his whole family, his household, trust Christ as their Savior? Well, there were people in the church that didn't like that either. In fact, over in Galatians chapter 2, almost the entire chapter of Galatians chapter 2, Paul details a very specific disagreement that he had with Peter. So much so that the Bible says that Paul told, told the believers in Galatia that he withstood Peter to the face. Like I got up in his face and told him, you're wrong, Peter. What was Peter doing? Well, Peter, who God had used to go meet with Cornelius, later on when he was pressed by some of the Jewish believers who came from Jerusalem, he, he pulled back and he pretended that he didn't want to be around the Gentiles as much anymore, even though he had already been eating with the Gentiles. But when some of his friends from Jerusalem came and saw him eating with Gentiles, he's like, oh, no, really, that's not where I stand. And so Paul got on him for that because in doing so, Peter was bringing into question the means by which salvation is offered to it. Is it by grace through faith plus nothing? Or is it by grace through faith plus the works of the law. So even Peter, who himself in Acts chapter 15 gets up and advocates for the fact that salvation is by grace through faith without works, even Peter himself had this struggle. And Paul and Peter had a major disagreement there. In fact, we won't get there today, but if you go to the end of Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement over whether or not John Mark was useful for the ministry that God had called them to. So Paul and Barnabas, who at the beginning of Acts chapter 15 are united in going to Jerusalem to stand up for the doctrine of salvation, by the end of Acts chapter 15, after this issue of salvation is resolved, they are divided as to who is useful for the ministry. Understand, disagreements are common in the church. And that's just going through a few stories in the book of Acts. We could go on and find more as we look through the rest of the epistles. There's all kinds of different disagreements that are dealt with in the church. I say all that to say, when disagreements arise, don't run in fear. Rather, deal with the disagreement properly. And we're going to talk about what dealing with that disagreement looks like this morning. But sometimes we get so averse to any disagreement, we just, if someone disagrees, I just go and hide rather than dealing with the disagreement properly. Or if someone is disagreeing with me, I just go someplace else. So I don't have to see that person anymore. And I just avoid the disagreement. I would tell you that is not the biblical way to handle your problem. If you have a problem, if you have an issue, if you have a disagreement in the church, especially as we're going to talk about today, over a doctrinal issue such as this, it needs to be dealt with in a biblical way. But let's look for just a moment at this specific disagreement that's taking place here in Acts chapter 15. In verses 1, and then it's repeated again in verse number 5, 
the idea is repeated that the legalists were saying that Gentiles must be circumcised in order to be saved. You see it at the end of verse 1. Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses. Verse number 5. It was needful to circumcise them. And in addition to that, not only did they have to be circumcised, they said they had to keep the law. So it wasn't just the physical act of being circumcised. You had to keep the whole law if you're going to be saved. I think it's referenced when they say after the manner of Moses in verse number 1, but it's clearly stated in verse number 5 where it says, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So you can see what's going on here, right? These Jewish believers who themselves had been saved out of Judaism, they were working to keep the law. Some of them here were still Pharisees. They were following a very strict interpretation of the law. And if you go back and study kind of Jewish rabbinical history, at this time in the early church of Acts, the, the group that called themselves Pharisees were extremely strict and rigid about how they followed the law. So much so, Peter, when he refers to it, talks about putting a, a yoke, like a heavy burden upon these believers. And he refers to keeping the law as a heavy yoke. Now, as history has progressed, Jewish people that follow Judaism as a religion, not talking about believers in Jesus Christ, but those who follow the Old Testament law and think that that gets them salvation, you can read through history as these laws or I would say the way that they keep these laws has been relaxed over time. So a Jewish uh, rabbi or teacher today who is a follower of Jewish law looks very different than one of the Pharisees would have back in the first century AD because their view of the law has changed dramatically. Because I think even though not being believers in Jesus Christ, they've understood that what they've tried to take on is more than any one person can actually do. You can't keep the whole law by yourself and never mess up. The law was not there for you to keep perfectly. The law, Scripture teaches us, is a schoolmaster. It's something to teach us and point us towards Jesus Christ. People think, well, I'm just going to keep the Ten Commandments and then I'll be okay. You can't keep all of the Ten Commandments. You will fail. And that's helping us to understand God is holy and we are not, and no, matter, no, matter of, no amount of work or effort gains us a relationship with God. We must be saved by grace through faith, not through the works of the law. But this issue arose because these Jewish believers who themselves had been trying to keep the law now look out and see these Gentile believers who are claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ, but the way they cut their hair the way they dress, the types of food that they eat, really everything about their lifestyle looked very different. I mean, these Jewish Pharisees had rules about how you trimmed your beard. They had rules about the type of cloth that could be used to make their clothing. They had rules about how far you could walk on the Sabbath day. They had rules about all kinds of things, and they'd been trying to keep these rules. Now, according to Acts 15, it seems as if they had trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they were still hanging on to these rules. It was part of their culture. It was part of their lifestyle. It was what they did. Now you see these Gentile believers being added in. You say, wait a minute, there were Gentile believers before this. What about Cornelius? What about the Ethiopian eunuch? What about these others who were believers prior to this? Well, the Jews may have looked at that as well. Cornelius, if you read about him, he was somebody who went to the synagogue. He was somebody who was trying to follow the Jewish tradition, and he got saved. Yes, he's a Gentile, but he's now following our Jewish traditions. The Ethiopian eunuch, he had been in Jerusalem for the big feast time. So even this Ethiopian, while a Gentile, he was somebody who was trying to follow the Jewish system of belief, and God saved him. But now, Paul and Barnabas are traveling all over the world. 
People are being saved in Cyprus, and people are being saved in Antioch and Pisidia, places in, in Greece, and you know all of these places. They were being saved right out of paganism. These weren't people that were already going to the synagogue, already looked good, and kind of had all of their Jewish ways in order, and then they were trusting in Christ. These were people that didn't have a clue about anything Jewish or, or Old Testament. All they knew was, Jesus Christ died to save me from my sin. And they're growing from that point. Do you understand the difference? I would compare it to this. It's not an exact comparison, but it might help us to understand. Some of you got saved and came to Christ after already growing up in a church. Your parents went to church. They took you to church. Maybe you got saved in a Sunday school class. Maybe you got saved in a church service. Maybe you came to Christ as part of a vacation Bible school. Maybe your parents led you to the Lord at home, but you were already in a church. You were already doing certain things and had certain you know, ways of you just knew what to do in certain areas because it's what you always did. Some of you, though, when you came to Christ, you didn't have a clue about any of this. The issue here is not whether or not God cares about holiness and righteousness. The issue is about what does it take to be saved? Is salvation by grace through faith plus nothing? Or is salvation by grace through faith and you have to keep the law and then you can be saved? So what I'm teaching here today is not just, hey, you, you can be saved and then live however you want. That's not what this passage is teaching. I think that's important because we live in a culture today that some places and some parts of the world, even churches, we get up and say, well, it doesn't matter. No, God does care about your outward appearance. God does care about modesty, yes, on the inside and the outside. God does care about your words. God does care even about what you put into your body. This is not a license to live however you want. This is a question about what it takes to be saved. I think that's important for us to understand. Sometimes we can read into this, well, that just means all that Old Testament stuff doesn't matter anymore. All the holiness, that's all, it's all, that's all different. That's all old. And now we're new and now we just do whatever we want. No, that's not what it's teaching. But what it is teaching is what it takes to be saved. But I would make this point. Just because people disagree doesn't mean they are unsaved. Even these Pharisees, in verse number 5, it says, But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. These Pharisees that were teaching the wrong doctrine about this issue of salvation, the Bible still calls them believers. Isn't it easy sometimes when we have a disagreement with somebody to say, well, they're not even saved anyway. I don't, I don't like this guy over here. Sorry, Matt, I'm always gesturing to you when I say this. I do like Matt. He just happens to be sitting right here where I gesture. But I, I might say, well, I don't like this person over here. That person, maybe pick some people in the middle. These people over here. And you know why? It's because they're not even saved anyway. Now, God knows the heart, right? But I think it's important. This is an important principle to understand. Just because somebody disagrees with you, even about a substantive issue such as this, right? The doctrine of salvation, this matters. And we need to get it right. Paul and Barnabas wanted to get it right. It's important for the glory of God and for the ministry of the church. But be careful about who you call saved and unsaved, right? Let God determine that. I would also make this point. Good people get it wrong sometimes. Sometimes, well, they're wrong. They're just a, they're a bad person or they're just not very smart. You know, we try to add, lump a whole bunch of other things. There's good, well-meaning people that still get it wrong. I say that because I think I'm a good, well-meaning person trying to do right. And guess what? I'll probably get it wrong sometimes too. Don't write somebody off just because they disagree with you. You may be wrong, they may be wrong, or it's possible you could both be wrong. God knows the heart. But this doesn't mean that disagreements don't matter. Right? They do matter. Dealing with disagreements will help to strengthen and purify 
the church. Dealing with disagreements will help to bring focus to the ministry of the church. Why are we here and what are we doing? It seems as if these Pharisees, who were believers, were trying to lump in some extra things to salvation, which caused the focus on salvation to be taken off the work of Christ and to be put more on your own works. That's a problem, right? Because if now people are just focused on trying to earn their salvation through their works, it's not true salvation. Disagreements can be distracting. This was clearly a big issue, a big, we could even call it a distraction to Paul and Barnabas, having to leave Antioch, to leave the ministry that God had for them and travel to Jerusalem to deal with this issue. They can be distracting, but disagreements must be dealt with in the church. Disagreements are common in the church. Number two, disagreements must be dealt with by the church. I want you to see how they dealt with it. Verses 2 through 4. There's this big dissension Paul and Barnabas have with these people, these believers from Judea who are teaching the wrong way to be saved. And so the church at Antioch, it says in the middle of verse 2, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. They didn't say, well, those guys are just dumb. Let's just continue on. They said, no, we need to deal with this situation. We need to deal with this situation. This is important. And notice it even says in verse 3, and, they, and being brought on their way by the church. This means the church at Antioch even supported them financially to go or help them physically to get to Jerusalem to deal with the situation. And then notice what it says in verse number 4. When they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church. This is so important. When you're dealing with disagreement, you have to be able to have dialogue with other people, with the people that the disagreement's with. And I think it speaks volumes of the leadership of the church in Jerusalem and their desire to walk in obedience to the Word of God and fulfill the mission of God. Because when Paul and Barnabas came, they didn't say, oh, here's those crazy guys. Paul and Barnabas, the ones that are just running around on these missionary journeys with all these Gentiles. I mean, Jerusalem, this is where the temple was. This was where Jesus had, had lived and walked and He had been crucified nearby and risen. I mean, this was where the church had started. This is where Pentecost took place. They didn't say, well, Paul and Barnabas, I mean, Barnabas, you know, he used to be with us, but he befriended that guy Saul, and we know he's got a past, and he's murdered people, and, you know. No, they didn't do that at all. They received them in, and that's so important. If somebody comes to you with a disagreement, you can't just shut them down, push them away, and say, well, we don't want to hear you. You have to be willing to have a conversation, hear what they have to say. And then look down at verses 6 and 7. It says, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. See, the church in Antioch understood the importance of dealing with this situation. That's why they sent Paul and Barnabas to deal with it. But also the church in Jerusalem willingly received Paul and Barnabas. And then the leaders all got together to discuss the issue. I think this is important. A lot of times when disagreements pop up, we just don't like the confrontation. We don't like the conflict, right? So we try to just not deal with it. Or we're like, well, why don't you call my secretary? And she'll try to find a time on my schedule. Well, I'm too busy. I, I can't deal with this problem. I'm thankful that the leaders there in Jerusalem didn't say, well, we're too busy to deal with this. We have more important things going on. No, Paul and Barnabas come in. Hey, we're going to get all of us together and we're going to figure out what needs to be done. This disagreement was not squashed, but it was discussed thoroughly. Look at verse number seven. It says, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up. So they've been going back and forth for a while. This was not a situation where only one side got to speak, and oh, that's what we're doing. No, there was a lot of back and forth taking place here. 
Disagreements must be dealt with by the church. Now, before we get to exactly how they deal with it, I want to make one important point. This is not a tangent. I think this helps us to frame this discussion about disagreement. It's the third point in your notes. It's this. Disagreements can distract from the delight of the gospel. What were Paul and Barnabas doing when this disagreement arose? They were rejoicing in the goodness of God, in the souls that have been saved, in the churches that have been started on their missionary journey. You'll notice, even as they traveled to Jerusalem, they continued to share of the goodness of God. Look at verse number 3. It says, they passed through Phenis and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Giving testimonies of souls that have been saved and people's lives who have been changed brings way more joy than dealing with disagreements, right? And I would much rather talk about God's work in transforming lives than talk about disagreements. Disagreements can distract from the delight of the gospel, or you could even say from the declaration of the gospel. So sometimes we can naturally just say, well, then let's just not talk about it. You go somewhere else. If you disagree, go somewhere else. I'm thankful that's not what they did. But understand, when you have a disagreement, understand that that disagreement will distract, most likely, from sharing the gospel. There were no missionary journeys taking place during this time. Why? Because they had to deal with this issue. This issue had to be dealt with. The Pharisees were definitely not sharing the gospel, right? They were, they were saying, you need the gospel plus something else. They're saying, well, those people got, may have been saved, but for them to really be saved, make sure they get circumcised and keep the law too. But that's not helping anybody. When they get to Jerusalem, there's this big meeting and this big discussion taking place. Paul and Barnabas were sharing the testimonies of transformed lives. But this disagreement really had the potential to distract from the mission of the church. So what do we do about these disagreements? Well, I want to spend the rest of our time here in verses 7 through 11 as we see them specifically dealing with this issue. I stated it this way in your notes, disagreements must defer to biblical authority. We need God's word, right? We need God's mind on the matter, not our opinion on the matter. But they're already preparing themselves to hear from the Lord. They're willing to have the discussion. Everybody gathers together to communicate about this. Oh, can I make a side point too? This was all happening within the church. I'm really glad that this wasn't taking place out on the street corner somewhere where this was being publicized to all of the lost people in the community. A lot of times churches, when they disagree, those disagreements bleed out into the community. You know, people joke about, and it's sad because it's true too many times, about how many churches have started because another church split. I understand sometimes there are disagreements that will not be resolved because of people that refuse to follow God. I understand that. But I think we ought to give every attempt to do things God's way and submit to Him. And sometimes in submitting to Him, some people will go away from the Lord and not walk with Him. Paul experienced that later on in his ministry. Others went through that in Scriptures. We know that's a reality. But too often, our first choice is to go out into the public square so that every, we can try to garner support to our side. This issue was being dealt with within this church body there, specifically in Jerusalem. Disagreements must defer to biblical authority. So where do we see the biblical authority in this passage? Well, they've had this time to consider. 
It looks as if Paul and Barnabas came and they spoke to a larger group in the church at Jerusalem, the apostles, elders, as they were received of the church as well. But then in verse 6, it seems as if just the apostles and elders, the leadership came apart to have more of a private discussion about this matter. And then in verse number 7, they come back into maybe the larger room where everybody was. And it says, and there had been much disputing. After this, Peter rose up. And he said to them, men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us. Here he's deferring to biblical authority, to God's authority. God made a choice among us. What was God's choice? He says that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. What is Peter referring to? He's referring to when God came to him through the Spirit and told him to go and minister to Cornelius. Do you remember, we looked at this, it's been a few months ago now when Peter met with Cornelius, but before Peter went to see Cornelius, he didn't want to go. Remember, God came to him in this dream and he showed him all this food that for a Jew was unclean to eat. And he said, Peter, rise, kill and eat. And Peter said, oh, not so, my Lord, not so. And then God speaks to him and he says, that which God hath called clean or God hath cleansed, call not thou unclean. And this happened three times. And then even after all of that, then these three men show up at Peter's door saying, we want you to come and meet with Cornelius. And Peter's not sure. And the Holy Spirit of God comes to Peter and says, I want you to go with them. Peter relayed that whole story to the church of Jerusalem back a few chapters ago, back in chapter 11. But now it's coming back up again. And now the whole church is gathered and they're trying to deal with what is truth here. So Peter is referring back to God's choice. Look at verse 8, he says, And God, which knoweth the hearts, that's a great name for God right there, by the way. God knows your heart. God is the knower, the discerner of the, thought, of the hearts. God who knoweth the hearts, bear them witness. God demonstrated that these people were believers because He gave them, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did unto us. As Peter was there with Cornelius, Again, all you have to do is go back to chapter 10 to read about this. Peter's preaching to Cornelius and his family, and right in the middle of his message, God, as these people believed in Christ, God gave them the Holy Spirit. And it was manifest. It was demonstrated that they had received the Spirit of God. I mean, the Holy Spirit didn't even wait for Peter to finish preaching. He interrupted him and gave them the Spirit right in the middle of it. And Peter's telling him, I saw this with my own eyes. And remember, Peter had six other men with him who had seen this take place as well. And they had already shared this with the church. They are deferring to biblical authority. You know, it's easy to share experiences. It's easy to share opinions. It's easy to say, well, this is my feelings on the matter. But it's so important that we point back to the truth of what God has revealed to us through His Word. Now, Peter's situation was a little different than ours is today. Peter was an apostle. God spoke to him in ways that God doesn't speak to us today. God revealed Himself in visions to Peter that He doesn't do to us today. But God has given us everything we need in His Word to be able to determine what is truth and what is not. See, when disagreements come, you must defer to biblical authority. Search the Scriptures. As Paul wrote, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We live in a day where biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high. And God's word has never been more available or accessible to us at any other time in history than it is right now. You probably have multiple printed copies of God's Word. I have multiple copies of God's Word on my device. You can find it online. It's free. There's no excuse for not having God's Word. 
We're talking about people today who know less about the Bible than people who lived hundreds of years ago who didn't have a single copy of Scripture. If, by chance, they might have one, it was probably chained to the pulpit in their local place of assembly, their church, and most of them didn't even know how to read. And God has given us His Word in our language. It's free, it's accessible, it's available, and yet... People have no idea what it says. People rely on, it's the same really in many ways as it was back then. People rely on superstition, feelings. Their zodiac sign. I always thought this was true. This is how I grew up. This... My friends, if we're going to deal with things biblically, we must go back to the Word of God. The problem for many is that sounds like work. It means I have to read and study. It means I have to compare Scripture with Scripture. It means I need to meditate on it. Think on it. I need to ask questions. How we spend our time and how we spend our money and our energy shows what our priorities are. I think the reason many would rather not deal with disagreements at all is because they have no biblical authority to go back to. If they do, it's two or three verses sort of plucked out of context to support their view without looking at the whole counsel of God. See, God had sent Peter to Cornelius. The Holy Spirit was given to Cornelius and the other Gentile believers. Look what Peter says in verse number 9. He says, And He put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts. How did He purify their hearts? Was it by works or by faith? It's by faith. By faith. Just because you've known the Lord a long time, don't ever forget how you came to know the Lord in the first place. It was by faith. Okay, well, they, you know, they, their language isn't quite what mine is. They, they don't know everything that I know. They, they don't look quite like I look. Listen, the way... Someone gets saved today is the same way that you got saved when you were saved and is the same way people have been saved forever. It's by grace through faith. It's by faith. Peter points this out. Look at verse 11. He says, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they the question he asks in verse 10 is very interesting. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God? What does he mean by that question? Why tempt ye God? Well, read the rest of it. He says, to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Why would you put God in a position of having to decide who is worthy to be saved and who's not worthy to be saved based on their works. Now, God is the righteous judge, right? He's saying we don't need to put God in this position. God has already declared that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God had already demonstrated through His Word, even at this point in Acts chapter 15, that salvation was by grace through faith. It wasn't through works. Salvation is by grace through faith. He says, why are you trying to load them down, put this yoke on these disciples? And Peter makes a great point. He says, our fathers and you, we've not been able to bear that yoke. Had the Jews been able to keep the law? No. So why are they expecting someone else to do what they are unable to do? It's like us saying, well, for you to follow Christ, you're going to, you know, to be saved. You're going to have to look and say and do everything like me. Listen, when you got saved, you didn't look and say and do everything like you do today. And in fact, everything you look and say and do, you're not perfect in it anyway. 
you still sin. You still mess up. You still do wrong. I like what Colossians chapter 2 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus our Lord, so walk ye in Him. The same way you receive Christ by grace through faith is the same way you walk in obedience with Him by grace through faith. This disagreement's real. This disagreement matters. This disagreement must be dealt with by deferring to biblical authority. And I like already read verse 11, but his point here, he says that salvation, or we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we should be saved, even as they. Peter takes the whole argument and flips it on its head. Because, right, they're trying to say, all right, we're the Jews and we've got this right. And so for them to be saved, they have to get saved the same way as us. And Peter says, no, we're getting saved the same way they get saved, by grace through faith. Now imagine to a pious Jew who's been keeping the law and doing everything outwardly as best he can. Now to be told, well, no, you have to be saved the same way a Gentile gets saved. I mean, you're a Jew. You, you feel special. You're one of God's chosen people. You're part of the nation of Israel, and you have all the Old Testament stories and prophets and, and all of these amazing things that God had done. And Peter says, you have to be saved the same way a pagan Gentile gets saved. What a great perspective to keep on things, right? You have to get saved the same way a drug addict gets saved. You have to get saved the same way a homeless person gets saved. You have to be saved the same way the most wicked sinner that you can imagine be, was, is saved is the same way you have to be saved. Peter's reminding them where they started from. Without Christ... We are separated from God. Instead of trying to get people to where we are, we ought to be together trying to be walk with, walking with the Lord where He is. So all of this conversation takes place. In verse 12 it says, Then all the multitude kept silent. And they gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles. See, as, this, as they deferred to biblical authority, people now were willing to move past the disagreement and listen to the wonderful testimonies about what God was doing to change people's lives. They were delighting in the good news of the gospel once again. See, God didn't put you and me here just to fight about things. We looked at this this morning in my starting point class. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And we like to think of ourselves as that foundation. We're holding on to the truth, and we are. But we're also to hold it out to this lost and dying world. We're not here just to be uh, the, the protectors of the truth. We are to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. When you're dealing with a disagreement, you have to step into that protector role and say, this is truth and this is what the Bible says, therefore this is what we're going to do. But as we move past that, we have to make sure we continue to remember God's put us here as ambassadors for Christ. If we're running around just feeling like we're more righteous than everyone else in the world and we have it all right, just wish some people were as good as us, we're not helping anybody. We're not bringing glory to the Lord. You may be right as right can be and still be completely wrong because your heart has no love for the lost. Jesus Christ is our perfect example in this, right? And He had... Many, many, many disagreements with the Pharisees. Did Jesus ever compromise the truth? No. But He loved people. He loved people and He loved to see their lives being changed through the power of the gospel. Dealing with disagreements. Will you deal with your disagreements God's way? It takes a lot of work. You have to be willing to discuss the issues. 
even to bring in church leadership. Oh, it'd be easier just to forget about it. No, truth matters. It was worth Paul and Barnabas traveling all the way from Antioch to Jerusalem to leave where they were serving to come and deal with this issue. And some commentators call Acts 15 really the turning point of the whole book because from this point forward in the book of Acts, the ministry just goes forward. I mean, it's like rocket boosters are attached to it. It just goes out and the Gentiles are hearing the gospel all over the world. It's incredible. And we're getting ready to get there in just a few weeks. But this issue had to be settled and dealt with. Are you willing to defer to the truth of God's word? Or are you going to allow your own feelings, your own thoughts and emotions to come in place of the truth? And I want to remind all of us, we must refuse to be distracted from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, all this happens and then they go right back to the mission that God put them there to be on. Because you know as well as I do, even as you're working through disagreements, afterwards you kind of want to sit around and, well, <laughs> I don't know if I feel really good about that. <laughs> I don't like how all of that turned out. Listen, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and with your spirit, which are His. He's not put you here for your own purposes. He's put you here for His purpose. He saved you. As Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians chapter 5, as it's talking about the church, as it's growing and ministering, it says, but speaking the truth in love. It may grow up together to the head of, in, into our head, which is Jesus Christ as His body, as His hands, and as His feet, as we go out into this world to fulfill the mission that He's put us here to do. Disagreements are real. Disagreements will happen. They're, they're not uncommon. They must be dealt with. God's Word has the truth. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word and thank You for this truth. There's more we're going to get into. Lord, help us to have tender hearts this morning. Maybe there's somebody here, Lord, that has been struggling with an issue and it needs to be dealt with. I pray that we wouldn't squash those issues, but rather deal with them biblically. Not go out and complain to this world, but rather to do our best as brothers and sisters in Christ, as part of the body of Jesus Christ, to work together for Your glory and for the great mission of the Gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to serve you. Help us to submit our ways to you and all our ways acknowledge you, trusting that you will direct our paths. In Jesus' name, amen.